David Thorpe, it's time for Bring It In. How are you, sir? Fantastic, Henry. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So congratulations to Don Staley. Um, you just did an eyebrow thing that's kind of exciting. Um, and you just said you think she should be... Go ahead. You say it. I think she should be our Team USA's... Uh, Steve Kerr is coaching Team USA in the coming Olympics. Uh, great. Congratulations. He'll be great. I love him. She should be the next one after that. Start. Let her be an assistant now. Uh, this is a leader of humans, not a leader of men or women, humans. Uh, I don't know. The way to coach Team USA, Henry, is to inspire them to play as hard as they can, to play together, all the things that you would think a coach would do. The X's and O's are secondary and, and quite frankly, not as hard to figure out. You're dealing with the best players in the world. This woman is an amazing leader, and I think it would be an honor for our players to play for her. Uh, but get her on the bench first as an assistant. Let her learn the game that way, like any assistant has, like Steve Kerr has. And Don Staley would be an incredible head coach, I think. Uh, and I just, it's time that we have a woman coach our team. We've had a bunch of men do it. Now let's get a woman to do it. And she would be incredible at it. As good as any we've had. She, um, Tyler Tynes wrote a really good profile of Don Staley in GQ. And um, she's just been through so much. Uh, she has this little line. Uh, how there's no smiling when you're from North Philly. And her story is like she moved to South Carolina to be close to her mom, Estelle, um, in 2008. And Estelle had developed Alzheimer's. And then Don moved down there, won a national championship in 2017. Then Estelle died. But at the same time, Don was diagnosed with pericarditis, which is an inflammation of tissue around the heart, which nearly crippled her. Um, her sister, Tracy, has leukemia. And her brother, Anthony, died from COVID-19. Jeez. And she's just kind of got this, like, and then, and then Tyler Tynes asks her, why do you still want to coach after all this? And she's like, they're just things I have to do, more so to protect young people and also guide them. And my work isn't done. I'm probably going to be the type of coach that I'm just going to break. I'm just going to go. Once I feel like I've done all I can do, you pass the baton and allow somebody else to see it through. But this is what I've done all my life. Like, in some form or fashion, as a player, as a coach, it's what I've done. I feel like there's more for me to do. Like, I actually played one more year professionally before I hung up my shoes because I wanted to get it all out of my system. It's not all out of my system yet. Yeah. Also, she clearly has a maturity about her. That's a, that's a, she's not an, an old woman. I think she's probably in her 30s or 40s, but she sounds as wise as anyone. Maybe she'd run for president. I'd vote for her. Like, that's <laughs> she's getting so many promotions leaders. in this podcast. She's, yeah. 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 We'll do the Team USA thing first, I think and then we'll like, get a politics. What job do you want, Don? Like, what do you, what, what right. do you want to do? <laughs> we, need, we need more of that. Run the NCAA, run the NBA. Mm -hmm. uh, I found myself, uh, I, I had the volume off. I was on a, a business call and I had an NBA game on and I had uh, that game on, but I made sure to get off the phone call and I unmuted just that uh, channel. So uh, I could just kind of hear, I just love watching people win championships in any sport. And uh, I'd really loved watching that. That was great. They, that's a, that was an impressive team. Um, okay. You're writing about big men and we don't need to sort of share your secrets now, but you and I talked a lot of the weekend about, big men. And, uh, and it occurs to uh, me that the playoffs, the NBA playoffs will happen between now and the draft. And there's a chance that who gets drafted where will change because we think that I'm mostly just stealing your ideas here that big <laughs> men are going to be awesome in these playoffs, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, we wrote something, I think a year ago in the postseason with Jokic and Bam and Embiid. Right. Um, you know, there's just I, I think the reason why you're bringing this up, Henry, is there, there's like a backlash against them as if we don't need them anymore. And yet the three best players in the world are all seven feet tall or taller. It's a little bit weird to me. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm going to go into uh, why I think that's it's such a big deal for them. And uh, uh, and as you just said, and we'll see the final championship game tonight. North Carolina's best player is a big man. Well, one of their best, one of their best players is a big man. Uh, Duke's Duke's big man got in foul trouble last game. Mark Williams, and, and that had an impact on a game that was decided in the last seconds. Uh, I, I, I appreciate a seven footer that can protect the rim and rebound and set screens, whatever. I don't know why the some of the NBA teams don't appreciate him as much. It's weird. So let's talk about Duke for a second, like. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, so I tuned in really strictly to watch Mark Williams. It's really fun for me sometimes to just watch one player. Like I'm yeah. dumb enough about the game that like I have to really focus on the one player to see what anybody what that player did, right? And yeah. um, so I was like, I'm gonna have Mark Williams game. I'm gonna watch Mark Williams. And because of what you'd said about him, um, 
And so he played for, for a few minutes and got two two fouls that could make you annoyed at the NCAA, right? And yeah. then um, just stuff. It's just basketball stuff. Like, there's no way. At least one of them that they showed in slow mo replay. Like, there's no way that's a foul in your pickup game. Like, right. And uh, so now. Then Coach K makes the unusual decision to bench him for the rest of the half. I'm like, what? That, that's not unusual. His generation does that all the time. It drives me crazy, but it's what they've always done. They foul them out themselves with two fouls and a half. So then part of you is like, oh, maybe he doesn't think he's that important. And then he goes to his little pre-halftime interview and he says, it's amazing that these guys are able to hang in there with Mark on the bench the whole time. Like he thinks Mark's the most important thing in the world. Yeah. And kept him out of the game and in a game that he didn't end up fouling out of whatever we can have this debate. Right. But, um, but, uh, but yeah. And then, but there were moments. I mean, I, it wasn't what I was hoping you had described that he could kind of like move with the ball and, you know, maybe do a little Euro step eventually and this kind of stuff, which would might make him a different kind of player. Um, he didn't really get those opportunities, but what I did see was guarding in space. There were these moments where, the longest arms in the world. Like really good basketball players are just going to pass it over him. And he's just like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. That happened twice in one game. And like, it, you know what his wingspan is? Take a guess. 150 he, feet. No, no. He's, he's <laughs> seriously, he's he's seven one. Okay. So what, what would you guess? I mean, you're not going to be wrong by a lot, but what would you guess it's it is? Seven, eight. You're an inch off. Seven, 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 seven. But that's yeah. like top three in the world. It's one of the biggest basketball. basketball. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't so, like Taco Fall, I think a seven nine, maybe. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah, there's a and Rudy Gobert might be seven eight. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. uh he's better than Rudy at this age. Rudy's and he's a, he's athletic. He's like a I think so. He had that put back dunk where I was like like in my mind I'm like, oh we'll see how this goes. And I was like, oh my god, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm like, whoa, hey, hey, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I've read some, I think it was ES, even ESPN that question his ability to process quickly. I don't agree at all. I think he's got a quick brain. And, um, uh, oh, speaking of Mark Williams, Henry, I've got breaking news for you. Oh. Uh, there's, more than, there's more than one young generation Thorpe that actually really follows the game. My nephew, Ben, yeah. is the founder of the Data Analyst Club at Duke. And I think, I don't know for sure he wants to run an NBA team like my son. I think he's open to it, but He's probably better off trying to solve real world problems. He's super bright. So I asked him when he thought of, of uh, Mark Williams, he's watched every game. Well, at least most of the games and does some analytics uh, uh, because Duke are clients of something, stuff that he does. And he wrote, I love him. I've been saying he's a lottery pick since he first started getting real minutes last year. So he said, so I'm probably a little biased, but I think he can be an NBA starter. This year I was impressed with how essential he was on D. Knew he was good from last year, but he single-handedly smothers everything inside the arc with how long and active he is. He's learned how to play without fouling, but there were a few games like the other night where a couple of bad things happened, and, you know, there you go. He's, I think he plays Thilman at Clint Capella. He's taller and longer. He shot 73% from the line this year, which was much better than last year, and he knocked down mid-range shots. And he's, you know, 20 years old. So I think, I think ben, uh, ben did a good job. Scouting, what I think, I, I think he's a lottery pick as well, and uh, I don't know why every team wouldn't value. And the guy hasn't missed a game to injury that I'm aware of in two years. Like that matters. <laughs> Hello, uh, hell, the, if the Lakers had him this year, they might be better off than Dwight Howard. You know, um, yeah, I I think that uh, he's got a long career in the league. And who I don't. And the other thing too, Henry is, you and I are old enough to remember Brook Lopez before he shot threes. And Miles Turner before he shot threes, mm -hmm. and Marcus Saul before he retired and before he shot threes. Uh, wh why is it these guys can't learn to shoot threes? They're twenty years old. Of course they can. Mm -hmm. So if you want to space out a shooter on the other team, fine. But isn't it nice to have a guy that can rim protect the way this guy can? I think so. He's. I mean, yeah. And, there, and so I guess the idea, like post seven seconds or less, is that big men are not going to be you know, just, just seven feet anymore, right? They're going to be able to have to move in space. And that's why all of these big men are falling in the draft. But nevertheless, I just, I went through, you know, we love dunks and threes. Taylor Snar's work is like a very smart hybrid of plus minus and box score stats. And, um, and basically these are the players who, when they come out of the game, their team's production falls off a cliff consistent at this point, consistently over the whole season. Right. And, um, 
there are 51 players in the top 10% of the NBA. And uh, of those 51, 20 play center. And a lot of them, like this is how you get your draft steals, right? Jokic is number one. He was a second round pick. Uh, Draymond Green was a second round pick. There's a ton of late lottery guys. Miles Turner, Jakob Pertl, Wendell Carter, uh, Dominic Sabonis. Uh, Jarrett Allen is 10th in the whole NBA in this stat. And we know it's real, right? Because as soon as he was injured, the Cavs were no good anymore, right? Um, he was taken 22nd. Rudy Gobert was a 27th pick. Um, Robert Williams, 27th pick. Mitchell Robinson, 36th pick. Mike Muscala. I have no idea if you think Mike Muscala is good or not, but I know that he's when he comes out of the game, the Thunder get a lot worse, right? He was a 44th pick. Um, these are the kinds of players, right? These are exactly what we're talking about, right? These are... Um, I don't know. How, I don't know. There are a lot of big men candidates in this. Mark Williams is one, um, but there's several players like we just described, right? Who you might want to yeah. have on the court when your team's playing well in the NBA. Yeah, this is this is why I feel like uh, my my inclination, my instinct when I watch the draft on draft night uh, for a long time, I've been doing it, and my my typical instinct is to trade down, trade down, trade down. Uh, if there's no one you think, you you know my feeling, you've got some guys that can be franchise-level players, all the rest are about the same. So um, trade down, trade down, trade down, and grab these guys and and get yourself a guy that you know can be a rotation player for you uh, instead of swinging for the fences for a guy that you think maybe can be a franchise guy but probably ends up not even being a rotation player for you because you, you know, swung and missed. And, and uh, I, m- most teams, I don't know. I understand why you want to swing for the fences. I get that. Uh, especially in the top five, top six. I have no problem with that. But uh, we're in the business of we, we pay we pay uh, rookie contract guys less than what they're worth if they can get playing time for you. They, those guys seem to be good guys to have on your team. And they, um, you know, Mark Williams is kind of in the sweet spot of this, right? Because like Chet Holmgren, obviously yeah. you've written about him, like very special prospect, but we're, everyone's worried about how many nights a year he's going to be available when he starts taking the beating of being an NBA big man, right? Yep. Um, Mark Williams is kind of next, right? Like he's, 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 as you point out, has a, a very good track record of being healthy and is built for this league. Right. You agree? Like seven, one, two forty five, seven, seven or seven. Yeah. Seven, seven wingspan. Uh, yeah. And you know, so one of the things too, is the, the NBA uses their bigs, um, just in a better fashion, we, we play the get game. We, we move them out on the court. This is what I'll be writing about on, I think we'll publish Thursday or Friday like normal. Uh, I, I don't know if Mark can do those things. Duke didn't ask him to do those things. They play differently. But there's no reason to think he can't I, that I'm aware of. Duke, Duke's just not admitting anyone in the school if they're good at basketball. That's my experience with Duke. I've coached a lot of their players. Uh, I think he's got a great mind and certainly got a great body and uh, a Zell a, a, a to compete, like a real competitive spirit. Pretty good to have for a seven one seven seven wingspan guy, you know? Played yeah. a lot of big games since even going back to high school. Yeah, he's like a Including against your son. Huh? Including against yeah. your son. Yeah, I saw him in high school right away. I'm like, oh, wow, what a fundamental. That's right. His, I told you this morning, uh, one of his many coaches at IMG, they have like a team, is a – it's kind of a famous guy from Puerto Rico, Daniel Santiago, who, who helped Puerto Rico beat Team USA, like the first loss we had with our pros. Daniel was the starting center. I trained Daniel for years, coached him when he was overseas, and then he worked with Mark Williams Mark's senior year. And uh, he's a really fundamental player. Um, it's different if you've got to develop a raw player who doesn't even know how to play. That is not the case with Mark. Like he, he's going to come in ready-made, you know, like he, he catches the ball high and leaves it high commonly, commonly. Chet Holmgren doesn't. Chet brings it down a lot. That, that's going to be a problem in the NBA because Chris Paul is going to take it. All the little guards in the NBA are going to take it. They're strong. You got to keep it up. I think Chet will figure it out. He's weak, but th- that's something he'll be able to figure out. All big men have to do that. Um, Mark's already got it. So yeah, I'm a I'm a fan. I wish we was my I love uh, Bacot from um, or Baycott from Carolina, who gets mm-hmm. like 20 rebounds every game. He's a rebounding. He he's a yeah. rebounding maniac. Yeah, he's like, a machine. I I yeah. love him. I remember when I watched him play this year. They destroyed Florida State and um, at Carolina, and I had heard about him, but I'd never watched him. And watching him, the whole team was great. But I just thought, oh, that guy's just a monster. Yeah, I love him. Seems like a very bright guy, but. 
on the court. He's a rugged individual, got a great smile, kicks your ass while he's smiling. Uh, I'm kind of going to, I'm, I'm going to root for the ACC tonight against Kansas. Although I think Kansas is very, very well coached. It should be a great game. Well, Big Cut's a good example though, right? Because he's not high on draft boards. No, no, he may go undrafted. He may go undrafted, but you see him as an NBA player. I don't think there's any question about that. I'd like to know what his measurements are. I don't know, but he seems like he looks like 6'10, 7172 wingspan, something like that. Uh, uh, rebounding, we know, is a stat that really does translate well. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a coach, Henry. I'm not, a, a, I'm not a, a journalist like you guys are. And so I understand that there's a movement against, like, like rebounding isn't so important. You know, I don't agree with that. I, I, I think it, when you give the other team 10 more shots a game, like Memphis is getting right now, I think it's demoralizing for your team when you're playing against them. It's just hard. And I think this young man can help a team in that area at least. And again, why are we limiting guys? Just because they play a certain way in college doesn't mean that's the only way they can play. You got to coach them up. This is this was Kyle Landry, right? He was, I think he led the NCAA in rebounding. Everyone's like, oh, I can't play in the NBA. Like, well, yeah. totally can. Yeah. Totally can. Yeah. So did Paul Millsap. So did Paul Millsap. Same story. Yeah. 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 The Paul was a little heavier. Uh, you know, Kevin Love was heavy. I, I, Baycott may be a little heavy. I, don't, I can't really tell because they're wearing shirts underneath it. They could have a vest on. Um, but when they're full-time pros, if they want to be super fit, they'll get there. College is just, I know from my own son's diet. They're college How do we kids. get teams to see the draft and see this stuff differently? Because, I, I, of course, we know what, why they do what they do. We need the guy who can get buckets. Yes, we all know. And getting buckets is important, but there's a million other things that have to happen to win basketball games. How do we get teams to think about that more than just, oh, top 10 guys, that's it. Nobody else can score. The rest of the draft is shit. It's like, guys, you probably got gems everywhere, and this is why your team sucks. This is why 90% of the teams in the NBA suck. It's because you're like, oh, we don't have a super-duper A-plus scorer. That means we can't do anything else. And it's like, well, maybe you could. It's a, it's a great question. I have some of an answer, but Henry, what do you think? I mean, I think you, like, GMs get fired every two or three years, and they need to win press conferences to keep their jobs, right? And, like, fans aren't excited. Think about who the Knicks fans boo in the arena, right? Like, if you pick a defender or an international player or someone who's not famous for highlight dunks, like, they boo you, right? And, like, I just, we have such a stupid setup where everyone needs to look smart that day, and, you know, this is why Sam Hinkie's strategy was 100%. Let's just have the longest view in the room. Let's just be the longest-term thinkers, right? If you're just a longer-term thinker, then you end up with, like, the Grizzlies roster, which has all of these unheralded players who are kicking everybody's ass, right? Like, that's obviously the best way to do it, but it, it you might not stick around, like Sam Hinkie, to see it happen. Yeah, you in that, in that baked into that answer, Henry, is uh, you have to teach. The long view requires that. Otherwise, how are they ever going to get to be, you know, good? You're not, they're not going to make it. Um, and so I will tell you, I, over the weekend, I spoke to a player development coach who's been hired to work with a bunch of guys in the draft. And one of his players is a kid I've written about, Kofi Coburn. Uh, and um, we were talking, you know, he was asking me in a sense like, uh, what should be my mission be for him? He's this gigantic 7-1, I think 7% body fat, first team All-American from Illinois that no one thinks is getting drafted. No, no one does. Jamaican born. I don't know where he was raised. And um, I don't understand why no one thinks he'll be drafted. I wrote that he could be the next Steven Adams, which is what I told this coach. Uh, you're going to have to, I said, first of all, he needs to be the most fit big man in the draft because no one sees him as that. And I watched the, the NCAA tournament and he was, he got tired. Of course, it's hard when you're wrestling three men, <laughs> three guys are guarding him all the time. It looked like Andre the Giant with three dudes on top of him all the time. Um, I said, uh, I, I, he, I, he totally gets it. This guy's been coaching him players a long time, and he coaches, he's coaching college too. I told him, you have to understand that he is never going to get a post-up, and then he has to understand that. So mm-hmm. the way he became an All-American is fantastic, and he'll never forget that. Our, our game is way different, and, and because he's not a top-10 pick, it's way different. Like Embiid and Jokic, they get post-ups. Giannis gets post-ups. Brooke Lopez gets a few. He's been around a long time with a lottery pick. This guy's getting none. So how's his screening game? Mm-hmm. How's his offensive rebounding game? 
How's his rim protection? How's his paint protection, right? How's his passing out of the pinch post? These are things he's going to have to do. And I told him, and I told you, Adonis Haslam, when I first helped him, rebounding a defense will help you make the heat because he, he was not a guaranteed guy with his contract. And then shooting will get you paid. We'll do that next year, I told him. 18-footers <laughs> back then. That's how, that's how short-sighted I was. Is I, I knew Well, first of all, I wasn't that dumb. If he'd been shooting threes, he'd have been back in, in, in uh, France. Right, right. 18, right. He, he couldn't have taken those threes. They weren't he ready for that yet, yeah. <laughs> no, Sam and Gundy, come on now. Yeah. So rebound and defense to make the team, and then shooting 18-footers to get you paid, which we got him $30 million for five years, which we were very happy with back then. That was his first, set, that was his first real contract. So uh, you, you got to teach it. And this is, to answer uh, God's point, Gerard's point, um, this is where I think a lot of these guys fail, Gerard, is it, it's really hard. The, the game's super hard. Evaluating talent's hard. Everything's hard. But teaching's really hard. And I don't mean hard as in you're solving a, a deep puzzle. It just takes a lot of work. I don't particularly think it's that challenging. You just got to work a lot. And I really don't think a lot of teams, I don't know about it's 90% with what you said, there's a good percentage of teams that I just don't think are really willing to work every day to that result. And that's why their teams suck because their players don't get better the way they should. You can't get better naturally because the best teams are getting better unnaturally. Memphis, I'm glad you said them, Henry. That's exactly right. They got better fast. That's teaching. That's coaching. And the players did their part, of course. And I don't think we see that enough. That's what I think. Should we clap well now? said. Well yeah. said. Um, all right, should we talk about Anthony Davis and the Lakers? Yeah, sure. The Anthony Davis says uh, he said a bunch of stuff, but basically that if the Lakers had been healthy, they would have won a championship this year. Um, is he right? <sighs> I think I I've really thought about it since you put it in the document. Or maybe I put it in the document. I think maybe I did, but you probably would have too. Um, I think it, I think it's he's totally off base and not wrong. <laughs> okay, uh, go on. Isn't that weird? Well, I mean, listen, I'd be worth a hundred million dollars if I won a hundred million dollar lottery. It's not a strategy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, it it to think that they wouldn't be injured is the mistake. Sounds like you're evading taxes, sir. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's uh, 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 first of all, you sign. He mentioned Kendrick Nunn. Well, yeah. I, I may be wrong to say that they signed him while he was injured, but he got injured quickly. And quite frankly, if you're not winning because Kendrick Nunn got hurt, you know there's there's a there's an inherent flaw in your strategic design. Every we team knew- has a Kendrick Nunn level injury, and many have five Kendrick Nunns who are injured. Right. Yeah. And De- Denver is missing their second and third best player. Yeah. For much of this year, the Clippers were missing their best player and their second best player, who looks great in coming back now. Uh, and they're in the playoffs for sure. So I think that it was a poorly put together roster. And, and where I'm disappointed, I, I really, I'm one of the few people left that really likes Anthony Davis still, I think. I do think he's incredible uh, when, he, when he can be incredible. Uh, I, I just don't see why he went there. It's like AD. Uh, it's not healthy for you to say those things publicly or even think them. Uh, y'all got your ass kicked. The, the team had some fundamental flaws and you could not get around some of the injuries that you should have expected to have in the first place. It, it was a failure from A to Z. And it should never be repeated. If you do it again next year thinking, well, we won't get as unlucky next year. Yeah, you will. Because of the way the team's constructed. It's a failure from the top down. Honestly, when I first saw those comments, I was like, oh, he's just hurt, right? Like his feelings are hurt. It's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's got to be heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you just kind of say the stuff that you say when you're hurt, right? And it doesn't really, I don't even know if he really believes that, but like. That's a great point. put him in front of a mic. He has to say something. <laughs> you know it's a great, I mean? No, you're, you're totally right. It's a great point. I, 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 would, I would want him to have been, I mean, the honest answer is, you know what, we were injured a lot and we probably should have expected I've had a history with it. LeBron is 37, and we have to get a ton of minutes. Carmelo's an old man. Um, Russell Westbrook, I mean, no one's going to – I don't want him to throw him under the bus, but he's under the bus. <laughs> he got thrown his own. Like, the exact way they were unlucky, I mean, I just – you know what's funny? Like, I, I, and 
in a little story about age, it matters that I wrote this story and kind of forgot I wrote it. But I'm like, this morning, I was like, you know, he can't have been that surprised, right? They put together this super old roster, and what happens to right. the old players is they get hurt. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I wrote a story about that. Um, and so I, I did the homework when they first put this roster together. And it's the point of the story is it's incredibly unusual for players in their 30s to be good. It's And it's almost unheard of for them to be great. Even over the age of 31, the numbers are tiny. Over 35, um, there were 540 players in the NBA a year ago, and only three players over 35 were elite. Um, and then if we look at this, uh, okay, in, in, in wins contributed last year, this particular stat doesn't matter. It's just like a shorthand for like LeBron led the Lakers 10.1, AD had 4.7. Um, the players they got rid of, KCP, Montrez Harold, Dennis Schroeder, Alex Crusoe, Kyle Kuzma, added up to more than 20. But then they brought in to replace them uh, players who, you know, you know the names, who were 33, 36, 34, 36, 32, and 37. Um, and at that age, it's just very likely that you're going to fall off a cliff, right? And your production is going to go close to zero. And so those players did tally the year before, a similar number of the young players the Lakers got rid of. But like, but now they're at these ages where they're much more likely to retire than improve, right? It's just the way the math is. And I think we, you know, basically, he's right. It could have worked out. But the odds with those players was like right. 1% of 1% or something, right? It was just like, this is a very big bet on very old players. And it's not surprising at all that it didn't work out. Yeah, it's not surprising. I don't know that we've ever talked about this on the podcast before, Henry, but do you remember our conversation right when LeBron went to Miami? When you asked me, like, what, how would you build a team around the big three? Do you remember that? I do. What did I say? You said that you would get super athletic. You were bummed they'd gotten rid of Michael Beasley. Um, yeah. And that you would let LeBron and Chris Bosh and Wade be role models of how to, like, really work every day, and they'd be the fastest, most athletic at every position. Yeah, I said basically build the most athletic team of all time with yeah. those three guys as yeah. your best players. Like yeah. normally when you when you go after the athletic portion, you sometimes you will give up skill or IQ. Well, eh, both those boxes are checked with Bosch, LeBron, and Wade. Right. So you get these guys now just everyone is just overwhelmingly athletic. And let at that back then it was uh uh was Spo, yeah, Spo was the coach. Let let him figure it out with yeah. those guys. And, and you have been on this since day one that they've not been doing that. Wherever LeBron's been, it's been aging up and aging up. And the irony is, as he's aged, you would think he would go the other way. All right, I'm no longer the world's best athlete for 36 minutes a game because I'm 36, whatever, 37 now. Nope, he's still doing it. He's still going after nothing but the old dependable guys. And yeah, this is what happens. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there are stories, or a lot of stories about LeBron's first seven years in Cleveland and, you know, young screw off teammates broke his heart. Right. Yeah, and, uh, right. Right. People showing up hungover, you know, people missing practice entirely, people not following the game plan, just lack of discipline. Right. And I think that, Le you know, LeBron had his own life story of like, he solved all of that with just routine. Right. And, and being early and discipline, kind of, yeah. kind of obsessive. Right. And like, that's the recipe. Like that's, you know, he's made the world's most beautiful cake and he wrote the, his own recipe and like, he just doesn't believe in other recipes. Right. And it got, got him championships and made him the best player in the history of the game, but it doesn't help with building teams when you're 37. Right. It's like these dudes are just too old. It's just a younger man's game. It just is. You know, when you mentioned best player in the world of all time, it makes me think of this. I wonder if part of the reason why Jordan still has that hold in a lot of people's minds, and I realize that part of it's because he came first. That's that's common bias, I think. But it's also you. No one has ever thought, "What if?" With him, with the exception of when he actually stopped playing the sport, uh, which I think was incredibly helpful for him. His body recharged in a different way. He 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 was humbled to some degree, based on a lot of art books that I've read and everything. Um. He, it, it isn't just that he won six titles out of six because LeBron made more finals, so did, so did Magic. That, that seems to be a goal. You can't win them if you don't get there. But they, they, they never lost when they probably should have won. Uh, to my knowledge, they never once were upset 
We can't say that about the Lakers. He's been upset about LeBron. He's been upset more than once and had these kinds of seasons and last year kind of seasons. And I think it's because of the, the, the rosters around him. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, yeah, this is a complicated issue, but like also Jordan lost a whole bunch of stuff early, right? He yeah. lost a bunch of playoff series when he was young, which yeah, served, well, it, it served to make the narrative that like Everest is even taller than we thought it was. Right. So then when he scaled it, he seemed even greater. Like you can also, if he'd just been better when he was younger, he would have won more of those series. Agreed. <laughs> and he would have lost in the finals like LeBron did, right? Um, I, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah, I don't ever punish LeBron uh, for making more finals, but I do think uh, uh, they've, you know, his failure as basically a de facto GM um, is what it is, and we, we, I don't know where they get around it. Like, I don't know what's easy absent leaving or he's trading. Gonna, AD. I mean, he's gonna have to leave or have goals other than winning titles, which puts him weirdly in this late stage Kobe role, right? Where it's like, Oh, he's going to be the scoring leader. Now that's the cool goal. Like the the guy on the losing team that misses the playoffs and scores a million points and makes highlights. Like, you know, okay. <laughs> I know Hollywood. What are you doing? <laughs> like, why is this the playbook we keep running? Right. Where like, and it feels like they have a trying to make a poker hand and they have like, two aces and like so the whole thing is just like if you can get a third ace and have that full house or whatever you're going for then you might win but it's like you know meanwhile the grizzlies are just pulling good hands out of the whole deck right like and that's and, and i've not looked to the standings all weekend i should let me rephrase that i've not looked that far down the standings so is that where, where is la at they're just out of the play in right now the spurs ahead of them i know it's in the dock no, they're okay. Let's move to that. Um, hold 10 on, now? hold on. There, no, they're um, well. In five, I'll tell you this: with, on five thirty-eights, yeah. um, they're point two percent to make. The Spurs are now two games ahead. Okay, two games. That's what, okay. That's what I yeah. thought. So the Spurs are ten. Yeah. Yeah, like with a yeah. gap, you know. Um, yeah, LA is unlikely. Point two percent. Yeah. Yeah, and LeBron wouldn't even know if he's playing going forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's a he has to play two or three more games to qualify for the scoring title. So he'll probably play two or three more games, I guess. <laughs> you would think. He wants to see his name. <laughs> Wait, what the hell, <laughs> Gerard? Your voice changed. Um, <laughs> take, take that legal. I'm really yeah, concerned about all the people at Gerard's house right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just working on some stuff behind the scenes over here, seeing what we can do with our fun little. Uh, New platform. Okay, okay, okay. Um, all right. Uh, well, David, we should look really fast. Uh, okay. Right now, in the East, uh, Chicago's five, Raptors six, which means in the play-in right now would be the Cavs, Hawks, Hornets, and Nets. Right. Any of those teams threaten to win a first-round series? I mean, the only the only team that possibly could do it would be Brooklyn. I think that's pretty clear, as I see it anyway. Probably because of the strength of the teams they'd be playing against, and Brooklyn's got that elasticity because of Irving and Durant. Right. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. Like they're just not consistently good enough. Uh, I the Hornets could end up being the tenth seed, which means they go on the road to play Atlanta, who's playing better for sure. Um, we saw what Atlanta did last year. But no, I think that uh, Toronto is going to be the lowest seeded team in the East. That's that's got a a, a good shot anyway. Uh, you know, a decent shot of, of winning a, a round. I would think. As a so it's Toronto and Brooklyn are the. I don't think Brooklyn's likely to do it. No. Okay. Wait. So Toronto is your pick out of this. Oh, do you, well, Toronto looks like they're going to be a six seed at worst. Yeah. yeah so I'm right? asking about all of them out of Chicago, Toronto, oh, yeah. Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I think Toronto's got a real shot. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and then in the West, it's um, Denver 5, Utah 6, Timberwolves 7, Clippers 8, Pelicans 9, Spurs 10, Lakers two games behind and 11. Um, any of them going to win a first-round series? Yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Denver uh, with if, if Porter Jr. comes back and what he looks like, but 
when you have the best player on the court every game you play, and Denver has, has proven for years now to be a, a tough out in the postseason, a lot of seven-game series wins, um, I, I wouldn't favor them either. We don't know who they're going to play yet, but um, I, I would say that they're the only group, the ones of that group that probably have a chance to win round one. Uh, Clippers, no? I don't think so. I mean, with yeah. getting Paul George, that's better. Uh, uh, where, where are they seated right now? They're, it could be a seven. It starts seven. today. They're eighth. Right, but that means they could. They're playing for seven. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't see them being Memphis. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a good series, though. I'd oh, yeah, oh Henry. <laughs> I mean, I got to do some traveling at some point early on in this postseason. Uh, I I don't like that because I like knowing exactly where I'll be to watch the games. Yeah, this is a fun. This is what we wait for all year. Once you get uh, used to having four TVs, that, it's kind of hard to have one TV, huh? Well, we don't, we don't really need them so much in the postseason, though, typically. You need a couple, yeah. maybe. I think maybe two. But um, yeah. to, to, to a segue to our Milwaukee discussion versus Dallas, yeah. this is the beauty of you and Gerard's ideas of shortening the season, is the games mean more, which means you might see more of what we saw Jason Kidd do with Dallas yeah. against mostly Giannis, which was a, just a, a more enhanced effort to make someone else beat them. Yeah. And it wasn't working when Milwaukee was hitting shots, but in Milwaukee got cold second quarter. I watched all the, I watched them yesterday. I watched all their possessions today, this morning. Um, they were, I mean, I'm sure they're riding on the wall. I, I think the scouting report was, no, sorry, I'm sorry, not the scouting report. I think this defensive strategy was, here are the different ways we can double. Pick it on your own, solve it on the spot. I don't think it was, okay, we're doing this and we're doing that. I don't think it was that because there was no rhyme or reason unless they were calling it, and it's possible they were. I would never know that watching on TV. But my guess is early double, late double, both those came. Double on the catch, that happens sometimes. Uh, there were sometimes where three guys went to him and then one backed off. Well, that tells me That's it, was figured out. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was figured out. I, I love that. This is not high school. But in high school, I did that sometimes too, especially in the offseason, because it made them figure things out. It made them think instead of just doing what coach said. This is, these are men. So uh, it, it means you can't really scout it the same because you're not sure where or when it's coming, the double. There, there are still solutions to it. Everyone's got to pay attention because if you're not sure if your man is be the one that's going to rotate to the double or if you're not sure when it's happening, you can't predetermine what you're going to do. Remember, in baseball, as someone who played for a lot of years and coached it, before every pitch, you are thinking about every possible scenario in the field. If he hits it to my left hard, if he hits it to my left softly, if he hits it short, if he hits a fly ball short, if he hits it to my right hard, if, they steal, if the guy at first tries to steal second before hit and run, you're thinking about all these things, and then, and then it's play. Basketball is jazz. It's going all the time. And so that causes problems. And so offensively, you're not sure what's happening, which means you're not sure what you're supposed to do. And you could see that in the game. There are strategies to beat it in a postseason. But in a one-game off, one, one off like we just saw, which we don't get much of, the Milwaukee was caught kind of, I thought, standing around too often. And, and because of it, and they shot poorly for a stretch. Not for the game, but for a stretch, Dallas kind of took control and then, and then were trying to play in that margin the whole time. It so was fascinating I, to watch. I'd love to ask you about this one play that for some reason made a big impression on me, which is um, uh, the Bucks are spread out around the perimeter. Um, mm -hmm. Brooks in the paint. Giannis is like maybe just inside the three-point line in the right corner. Drew passes Giannis the ball in the right corner, and he's immediately doubled, which means around the perimeter are two defenders guarding three guys. And Giannis keeps the ball for, I don't know, four seconds maybe, like, really doubled, hands in his face, and obviously he's a very tall man, but it's a, it's a little stressful, right? He gets it to Brooke in the paint, who's covered, but ends up getting an easy bucket. But what's... The moment that Giannis was, like, kind of struggling to get rid of the ball there, part of me is like, oh, man, if only the second he'd caught it, he'd given it back to Drew, like, right. like the options are infinite. But, like, what's the right play there? What's he supposed to be well, doing? Well, that, that, that's... A, okay, let's go backwards. First, is he, gonna, is he allowed to shoot the corner three? If not, then don't ever run to the corner, Giannis. Secondly, if he's not allowed to shoot the three and he still does, don't throw it to him there. Okay, so let's get those two things out of the way. Smart, smart, smart. Third, <laughs> third is what you said. 
get rid of it right away. It, I, again, I don't think he knew the double was coming because they yeah, didn't always double him on the catch. Yeah, yeah, he, that was yeah. a surprise. So third is get rid of it early. Fourth is don't panic, which he didn't. And then you got to shorten the passing lane. What yeah. they're hoping, what 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 uh, Dallas is hoping, is that he tries to go a longer pass, and then you can maybe jump it. You have to shorten the lane. You got to get a guy cutting or a guy in the short corner. That's an easy pass. Uh, or in the low, in the in the post where apparently Brooke went. I don't remember the play. Um, yeah, you got to make it a short pass. Uh, I will say a few times a double came that surprised me, and Drew did a really good job of getting right to the middle. So, so we call that pressure release. Uh, you'd like your biggest guy to be pressure release because it's hard to deny those gigantic men. Drew's, a, Drew's the smallest guy on the court most nights, him and George Hill. But someone's got to get to that middle, and he did. And so that's why in the postseason it's not as effective a strategy defensively for any series of games. One game, yes. But after the one game, there's a teaching point of, hey, the millisecond we see the double coming, then you set a rule. The guy whose man left, get to the, get to the pressure release. Or anyone nearest the middle, get to your pressure release point to give this guy a way out. And then it's four on three from there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but for any one game, it's fascinating, which, again, is why I, I, the idea of a shorter – teams don't do this very much. They kind of just do what they always do because the, it's hard to keep changing things on the fly throughout the season. And it's a lot of work. You're getting tired playing defense like that exactly amazing point this is national tv you're playing the defending champs uh but i think he did milwaukee a favor Mm -hmm. jason kidd not on purpose he wanted to win the game Mm -hmm. i i I don't i'm not a fan of jason kidd for a million reasons but i have to be an unbiased uh, analyst i think he's done a hell of a job Mm -hmm. i really do and i think this was if we want to win a championship we got to prove we can win some important games let's do it now where the risk is nothing we just lost which everyone expects us to do anyway. We're, we're on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a little swagger got in their step. Hey, we just beat Milwaukee, and they tried to win, too. Milwaukee played their players. Mm-hmm. But I think – but Coach Budenholzer also now is, okay, we, someone's going to do this again. I promise you that. They're not going to do it maybe in game one of a series, but they're going to go to it. with the, the, the Solving the problem of Giannis by sending doubles at different times, different directions. Again, this isn't new. But they haven't done, teams haven't done this a lot against him, and now it's a fresh reminder of, hey, guys, it was just a few weeks ago, if we're in mid-April now, where we saw this. Remember, we got to get someone in that middle right away. we got to not throw the ball to Giannis in the corner ever unless he's so open he can catch and shoot. And then Giannis, catch it and shoot it. You cannot hold it. Or attack. We call it quick, I call it quick attack. Or pass it out right away. And now let's play four and three if they're doubling quickly. So I think it, I think it was a good teaching point for them and a good confidence builder for Dallas. Ooh, you want to talk quickly about the pass of the year? I lost you. Say it again. Uh, you tweeted the pass of the year. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you saw it. Yeah. So, Drew, so so do you know what a, 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 they call it a hammer pass or a drift action mm. where the ball is being it, – it's called a hammer because a Darvin Ham played for the Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, when George Carl was his coach. And so when the ball went baseline – one of the ways to pass it is to the opposite corner, but there's typically a weak side defender there. And so he had Ham screen that defender so that he couldn't get to the passing lane from the passer to the receiver. Right. And that's called a hammer screen. Okay. So that drift pass is when you're literally running out of bounds. And then you, th- as long as you're not stepping on the line or in the paint out of bounds, you can throw the pass though. The ball, it's not like soccer, the ball can cross the line, it's not out of bounds. And then you throw it to the opposite corner. So now Drew's doing it, and he's caught in tra- He's about to step out of bounds. And he wants to throw the hammer pass, but there's a defender. He's not being screened. Yeah. So he lasers this. <laughs> Normally, it's a direct pass. It's not a bounce pass. Bounce passes are slower passes yeah. because the millisecond the ball hits the ground, it slows down. It's a law of physics. So you normally don't see it that way. But he th- if he throws a regular hammer pass, you know, chest to chest, 100% intercepted, 100%, or deflected out of bounds. He throws and it. And this is like a, like, a, like a 40 plus foot pass, right? Like this yeah, is a, one yeah. hand. Yeah, it's on Twitter for people yeah. to follow me. I filmed it on my PC today. I didn't download it. I just filmed it on my phone. Uh, he throws his bounce pass so perfectly thrown. Now, there's two defenders here. Defender one is the actual man who plays for the bad guys who's reaching to get deflected. The second defender is the out of bounds line, the baseline. 
He and the third defender the actually is the, is the backboard, right? You, if you throw that too high, you're going to hit the ball in the too, backboard. Right. So he throws it low. Yeah. Correct. You're right, of course. And it bounces, I'm going to say, one inch legally inside the baseline right to Wes Matthews, which is where the whole thing failed. <laughs> because, listen, I, I love me some Wes Matthews. He's an un, undrafted player. I have a soft place in my heart for all those guys. He's terrible now. And I think he's unplayable. And the reason why I can't pick them to win a championship because when he's your answer, you're asked the wrong question. And he, he couldn't catch the three because the guy that almost intercepted the ball was on him. And then he drove into traffic and made a terrible pass to Giannis and turned it over. Yeah. But doesn't take away from the brilliance of that. Inc- it was like Tom Brady throwing a pass before he got sacked. And, yeah. But you can't, he's not allowed to bounce it. Drew is allowed to bounce it. And it worked. It was really amazing. I'm kind of open to the idea, that, and I said this to you the other day, like Drew Holiday's like iron will might define these playoffs, right? I just feel like he didn't play very well in last year's playoffs, and he's a guy who's accustomed to making good things happen for his team. And I feel like whatever happened in his soul since then, he's just like, it's not going to happen again. Like Drew Holiday is not messing around. He, he's my, they're my pick for the East Championship. Yeah, because of Giannis and Drew, not Giannis and Chris. Yeah, uh, because of what Drew does defensively, he's. I haven't looked to see if it's a career year offensively, but I think it's close. If it's not a career year, uh, I think you're exactly right. I think, as you've heard me say a million times, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And last year he walked the path, despite having a terrible last game shooting wise. He made the play of plays, the lob pass to Giannis, if you remember, to clinch the championship. Um, and this year he's more assertive offensively. I think he's turned a corner. He still wasn't where he needed to be last night. He started the game well yesterday. I think he needed to be in more attack mode with those doubles coming to Giannis and Chris a little bit. Uh, he needs to do more of that in the postseason, but I think he will. Okay. Um, Joel Embiid um, said that if he wins the MVP, great. If it, and this is a quote, if it doesn't, I don't know what I have to do. I'll feel like they hate me. I feel like the standard for guys in Philly or for me is different than everyone else. And David, you don't seem very sympathetic to that. <laughs> I, I mean, I know how, I know what he needs to do, and what so does do he you. Have to do what does he have to he do? He has to outplay Jokic. Yeah, he's been amazing. Jokic has been better. I, I I don't understand this, Henry. I do understand this. It's it's unfortunate. Uh, one of the best aspects of our game today is the advanced level metrics that we have, which give us real evidence, hard evidence beyond wins and points and rebounds and box score numbers uh, as to who's had the most impact. Well, we have lots of metrics and Jokic leads all of them to my knowledge. He all leads the of whole them. NBA by basically every respected advanced one number. Right. Metric. In, in some cases by a lot, in some cases by a little, but he's number one in all of them. Embiid is not number two in all of them. Jokic is number one in all of them. He is the best player in the world in the regular season. And so the answer, Joel, if you want to be MVP, is not to keep playing better. It's to just play better than that dude. Because he's the guy outplaying everyone. You're amazing, right? If you and I are in the woods and a bear chases us, I just have to outrun you, not the bear, right? <laughs> As a Richard Pryor joke. Well, right now in this game today, if you want to be the world's best player, you have to outplay that guy. And if someone else ends up outplaying you both, well, then you got a new target. But right now, Jokic is outplaying you, and you're incredible, amazing. He's better. Deal with it. And I would say if you just listened to what David said and said, oh, my gosh, we're just saying, like, these five stats determine the MVP, and I would tell you, no. You're listening to David Thorpe, who – would be happy to take you second by second through the film of what Jokic does. And we would do that show, but we just don't have the time, right? Like that would be a seven hour long show. And you'd see Jokic like, I mean, David, how long did you spend just watching Jokic passing, right? Didn't you tell me you have like an 18 minute yeah, video watched, of Jokic passing? Well, like I was watching Synergy uh, of just all of his plays. And I thought I'm for this article I'm doing, I said, let me just watch his passing. Well, YouTube is great for that. So I found a seven minute, 25 second video where he's basically Pete Maravich. Yeah. As I said to you, which I'm not even writing about this, he, he'll, look, he'll look in a direction, he'll pass in the same direction, but he uses his wrist to throw the ball in a different direction, which is what Maravich used to do. That's pretty, he, he makes passes I've never seen before. And, and he's shooting 
Uh, do you have your computer in front of you? Is it, is it almost 70% from, you know, around the rim? Like, it's unbelievable what yeah. he's been doing. Yeah. He's the best player in the world. I'm sorry. Sorry, Joel. Yeah. And we're not just saying that because if you can't, like, hack the numbers to get there, right? And the, ex- the other thing I'd say is, like, these, the stats that I'm most excited about anyway, that we use the most here, are literally, like, winning the game. It's yeah. not, they're not really hackable. Like, if you, if you win the game, when, if, the, if the team's amazing when you're on the court, you will be very good in, for instance, estimated plus minus from dunks and threes, right? Like, that's how you hack that. It's like, well, that's basketball, right? It's like we're right. trying, to, we're trying, this is, <laughs> trying to just this get is, basketball this, players. I, I am, I am as, as gray as you'd expect most men my age to be. I, I've lived this life. I've uh, been around a long damn time. I am not one of these old school guys that doesn't believe in analytics. I, am, I love them. I don't always understand them, which means I have to be smarter uh, in most cases. There are times where I think some metrics may fail us. But when the entire universe of them declare one guy has had the most positive impact in the league, I'd, I, why would I ever argue with that? Uh, when it's I, also, no. without the stats, that's also what you think, right? Like, like you'll, you can watch yeah, the Nuggets right. play and you'll call me up and say that Jokic is the best player in the world based on what you told me about. We wrote, it, yeah. we wrote it a year ago. Yeah. Two years ago, we wrote that he just needs to lose weight and he's an MVP candidate. He did. Yeah. He's fit as hell now. And oh, in fact, I, I, I'm, I guess I can say it. Uh, I have, I'll have it in the article. Have you seen the video of him diagramming a play? No. Oh, there's this beautiful thing where clearly he's frustrated with something. He grabs the whiteboard from a coach. I don't think it was that. I think the head coach was still meeting with some other coaches. So I think, I think Nicole, Nicola was talking with a teammate about something that he didn't understand. He gave the look that I know you give your kids and I give mine like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Come here. Let me show you how to do this, how to tie your shoes or whatever. Yeah. He takes the whiteboard and he diagrams the play for, for the player. He's doing it all. And and if they have if they have their two best guys with them, even for like, you know, three quarters of the year, I mean, I think they're right there to win the championship with Phoenix. Uh yeah. and, and maybe, you know, the team for me, they're great. He's incredible. Um, okay. I thought this was potentially important. Uh uh Draymond Green says, I think there have been a few plays defensively that I kind of feel me getting my time and rhythm back and covering up some things. Offensively, I'm starting to find my rhythm too. I have to find my touch again. But other than that, I'm starting to find my rhythm. It does feel that over the last few games, it's starting to come together for me. Um, is that enough? Is that, does that make the Warriors back in the contender picture? Yeah, I watched them a lot on tape. I watched him a lot. Um, what, you know, what a brilliant thinker he is. Uh, I, th- I, I, I wanted to talk about this because it's just a long year. It's amazing. It, it, life goes fast, but it's also a long year. And like they two months ago, so they, were the, they were the favorites. Right. That's what I was going to say. Oh, there you it, go. Sorry. <laughs> they were so good defensively. Yeah. I think yeah. they're number two now. And um, I do think missing games matters. It, it's, I think sometimes teams forget that. Like we got to get caught up again. And they can really be dizzying defensively. And then you throw in Poole and Draymond. Clay had a big game this weekend. And here comes, here comes Steph, we hope. And I, I don't know that they're, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't make them favorites now. Phoenix has earned that privilege of being called that. But who could be surprised if Golden State ends up really causing a lot of chaos defensively? And then Clay gets off and Jordan Poole is great and, Steph is Steph, and Draymond does all the things he can do defensively and as a facilitator. I think Steve Kerr is great. Yeah, they, it, it shouldn't shock us if, they're, if they win the West. I feel that way. And obviously, we've seen it a million times, but like, where does that put them? There's so many contenders, and like right now, are they I, I would, favorites in the West? The I would favor them over Memphis if Steph is healthy, yeah. which is a big if. Yeah, It's a big if. I still think there's some growing pains. I may be an idiot because what Memphis is doing is incredible. As our article that we published on Friday, did you see who they were missing when they beat Phoenix the other night? No. Well, just every good player they have that starts. Pretty much all. (laughs) Adams out, Bain out, Morant out, Dylan Brooks started. Their starting five was Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks. Uh, Jaron Jackson didn't play, I don't believe. Almost positive he didn't play. And they still beat Phoenix. So maybe I'm an idiot. Yeah, you're probably an idiot on that one. (laughs) 
that yeah. sounds pretty formidable. Yeah. I do right. I do think the the postseason's a different animal. And I just think they need to have more pain. So they play Golden State. And I haven't looked at is Golden State a four seed? Hold on, let me get right on that. Uh oh, they are well, here's what I can tell you. Yeah. Is that I didn't print out the whole standings. I don't have that part. I've just gone blank on the standings because I'm I'm Golden old. State is still the three seed right now. They're three. Okay. That's what but I thought. So Dallas, Dallas is not too far behind. Right. But but what I thought was they have a good chance to play Memphis in the second round. And that's where that I think Golden State will will is more likely to win that series than mm. not. But if if both teams are healthy, who knows? And we John Moran's not playing either. So we don't know. We don't know. I would favor Golden State if both teams are healthy in an amazing series. Uh, and then against Phoenix, if they make it to the finals, we'll, we'll deal with it then. But uh, uh, I still think Memphis has to win a series before they win a bunch. It's not like they've got Chris Paul as an incredible, incredibly steadying force. Uh, as good as Ja is, this is a new game for him. Uh, but still, gonna, I mean, they could easily win the series. It'd be great. There's so many hypotheticals between here and there, but for the record, I'm taking Memphis in that series. <laughs> like, I'm like, I feel like Memphis is like a wrecking ball right now, and just they like, are. No, just, they are. Yeah, I think that you could focus on any one series. I give the advantage to a team like Golden State with Steph and Dre and Clay. Yeah, and and the young guys who are athletic. Kaminga's coming around. What an athlete he is. Uh, Jordan Poole's really a good player now. Really a good player. Oh, and did you see the article about Clay hugging him? No. Oh, Henry, it's so up your alley. Gerard will pretend it's not up his alley, but he'll love it too. Um, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not. <laughs> Clay, Clay has his monster game over the weekend. I, I don't remember what his numbers were, but he has this great game. And after the game, he gives Jordan like the biggest hug. Not a bro hug. A, love, a loving hug of like brothers. And, it's, and afterwards he says... Like I've been sitting around for a long time and it's guys like this guy that have, that have making it worthwhile because he, he was great in the game. And, uh, I, I think that the Warriors still have a little bit of something to cook up for Memphis that Memphis just hasn't had to deal with before. But I think it's any series that goes six or seven, go either way. It would not be a four or five game route for either team. I don't think. Why do you hate that Gerard? Why do I hate what? Golden that they love man. each other, that they hug each other. <laughs> He's a swimming coach. You have to you, no you, hugging you, and swimming. You, you, you have to play play up the bit, right? This is the bit, you know. You gotta. This is this is the bit we're doing, and it's ah all that lovey dovey, hunky dory shit. Nobody cares. Ah, screw that. Let's just. But, but he does, which is what I acknowledge. <laughs> Let's Gerard just gets wrap it. it up. Come on. <laughs> Gerard, Gerard is a loving soul. He There's a little bit. You know, I have British family, and there's a little bit of like this, like yeah, yeah, everyone in Britain is like, yeah, we love, we love that, but let's not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make it a big deal. Let's not write a book about it for fuck's sake. You know, exactly. See, that, that must be all my time watching too much British period uh, TV, and like Downton yeah. Abbey and Bridgerton. Do you know Bridgerton got you. Feelings. Yeah, that's what got <laughs> feelings. Come on, is, it, is, is, is Ted Lasso hated in Britain? I don't know. Henry, do actually, you know my, Ted Lasso I, hated. It? I have been trying to get um, my relatives in England to be aware of it and to watch it. As far as I know, they're just behind on Ted Lasso. It's not well distributed there. I don't know what the deal is, but I think they because I watch a lot of Champions League soccer and they often talk about Ted Lasso and like references. So I I would imagine so my that. family's behind is the deal. Oh, okay. That's what I would say. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time, guys. <laughs> um, all right, really fast at the end, I um. I think a month ago on the show, I talked about like my pet peeve was I think he has to save a timeout for the last five seconds. This is, yeah. this is not scientific basis. It was just Henry Abbott basketball fan. But um, after I said that, this guy sent me this, um, a bunch of charts from a bunch of research. Um, Mike Boy, I think is how you say his name, um, in predict, at in predict on Twitter. If you go through his thing, there's um, basically a bunch of charts saying I was right. <laughs> <laughs> in the NBA, different in college. In the NBA, where you could, it's it's moving the ball to half court that makes a big difference. But, yes. um, you know, calling a timeout or not late in the game doesn't make a huge difference. It, it, it's similar win percentage if you do or don't. But once you get into the like four, five seconds left, it just helps you win. Yeah, it's hard That's to go good. full court. Yeah, but 
I want to I want to throw one thing out there. Uh, oh, we got limited oh, time. Sorry, we're out of time, David. Jeez, uh, wow. we, got, we, got we really got to wrap it up. I'll be, I'll be really quick. Uh, it doesn't matter if you save a timeout for the end. If you if the other team goes on a 10-0 run and you don't call timeout, it becomes a 22-0 run. Mm. Like that's not factoring into those numbers. That's a different study. Uh, I'm I'm not we, arguing with you. We're at gonna all. do a whole 15 minutes on that next time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. Thank you guys. Thank you, John. Thank you, David.